I don't know what it is about the pandemic. Everybody is riding bicycle now. So <laughs> yeah, I know. I saw your bicycle there. So yeah. a couple of guys were riding bike and they they invited me to come. I'm like, bro, man, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not about that life <laughs> yet. <laughs> yet. All right. So thank you all for jumping on to this episode of Life on Purpose. Uh, today, I have a good friend. Um, I've known uh, Timmy for some time now. And uh, Timmy Ayola, uh, as you all know, I, I'm intentional about giving my, uh, my guests the opportunity to tell us a little bit about themselves. But um, he's a CPA, uh, and he's, he's big into the finance world in general. Um, a couple of hats he wears that he some folks may not be aware of, but I kind of got, got an inside scoop on. But um, at the risk of saying too much, today we'll be talking about Gift to Caesar, gift to Caesar, and the concept of you know, you know, just really giving in taxes or paying your taxes, as some may say, um, but also um, some of the other things that are, are financially related. So, Timmy, tell us a little bit about yourself, sir. Awesome, thank you, uh, Lano, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, it's been a long time coming, so thank you for having me on the show. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned earlier, uh, my name is Timmy Ayola, and um, I live in Houston. Um, my background is in accounting, finance, um, I'm a CPA, uh, and like you mentioned, I wear a lot of hats, but uh, I'll keep that aside. Uh, so a lot of my passion is around, you know, finance, forecasting, budgeting, taxes, and all the stuff. I've done them all. Uh, so I'm really passionate about that. So I'm excited to talk about uh, giving to Caesar, you know, taxes and all the good stuff. Yeah. Uh, as, a, as a CPA, I would, I would definitely say Pay your taxes for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, this is a faith-based podcast, and folks that listen are well aware that you know um, I, I kind of build my personal life, and I encourage folks to consider buckets. Um, and, and my recommended buckets, which has worked for me thus far, is faith, fitness, family, focus, finance, and friends. And so, the bucket we're discussing today kind of falls into finance, and when. When I think of finance, it's it's more of a resource that God has given to us as him being the source. Um, and then, you know, the resource is what we use um, for everything that revolves around our lives. So even in our relationship with God and in the service that we render to man um, through our focus in the responsibility as men to our family, in, in, in our relationship with our friends as well. There is giving in that sense of it and, and in the fellowship and all of that, all those things, uh, money is important. Uh, but in the, in the nation in which we live in and in many developed nations, tax is an important part of it. So, you know, I, I love that you already teed it up by saying pay your taxes. Now, I would confess, okay, this is, we're doing this recording in June and I, <laughs> I am one of those people <laughs> <laughs> but at least for two years now, I have I have found an extension, you know, just because <laughs> of what I did fear. You know, we are going to pay because right. so I'm, I I kind of delay that. Can you let's just start with that? Let's talk about how this year has been from a from a tax standpoint. What what did you see differently this year in 2022 versus maybe prior couple of years from a tax standpoint with people? Yeah. Yeah, so I think I think you touched on it a lot. Um, a lot of it is also, you know, the deadline. Um, mm. Given all that's happened in the past couple of years with COVID and all the stuff, you know, there's been a lot of deadline extensions by the government. Given, you know, people are going through a lot. 
Right. So that's number one. Uh, yeah. So more people had more time to be able to file their taxes. Yeah. Now that aside, I think um, I think it was last year when there was a lot of um, bailouts, you know, right. uh, individual bailouts. Um, a lot of people were, were kind of surprised to find out during tax season that right. a lot of that would reduce the sort of credit that they would get because it is essentially actually the advanced child uh, child uh, credit. Mm. So people thought it was additional free money. Ah. When it became tax season, you it was essentially the government giving you the credits ahead of time. Mm. So let's mm. say each year for each child you might get, let's as an example, a thousand or two thousand, and you have two two kids. So let's right. say you have four thousand that you would not ordinarily get in April. Right. The government gave you two thousand of that early. So they split it over six months, give you a check for maybe 300, 400. But people were expecting to still get the full 4,000 in April. Right. So there was a lot of surprises wow. uh, at that point. Uh, if you weren't really tracking to it, you probably wouldn't have known. You would have just thought it was another um, free money from the government, but it wasn't really free. It was more advanced. And there was a lot of that. There was a lot of changes in the tax code, which always changes every year. But, you know, for example, one of those changes was, you know, if you, because a lot of the restaurants were closed, the government changed it where if you order out uh, as a company, you know, so if you have an LLC or a corporation, if you order out, historically, that wasn't deductible because you have to actually go in into the restaurant and eat there and all this stuff. But because the restaurants were closed, the government changed the tax code to allow for those order out to be tax deductible. That was also a way to kind of kickstart the economy to make sure that the restaurant industry and the hospitality industry was still kind of functioning since right. people couldn't go in. Um, you know, same thing with Uber, you know, if you buy it, you know, you, you can deduct it. So there was a lot of changes in the tax code that, you know, some people didn't know, so it was a negative for them, but a lot of people knew ahead of time so they could take advantage of it. Yeah. Uh, so I would just say in the past two, three years, there's been a lot of government actions, as we all know, to try and help the economy to kickstart the economy, uh, you know, by changing some codes, extending the deadline, increasing some of the deductions that you can get, changing the code. So you almost have to like keep up. I have some, actually, I was reading about the 400 page tax document with wow. a bunch of different it's a lot, it's a lot to keep up with and they change constantly, you know? So that was what I saw um, in the past two, three years, just a lot yeah. of changes. So you yeah. have to really be ahead of it. And sometimes you have to plan. So what yeah. I've seen is a lot of people, it's more of reaction. So at the end of the year, you kind of figure out, okay, how did I do this year? Okay, let me pay my taxes. Some folks, which I, I, I try to tell a lot of people is, you know, you want to plan ahead as well because that's how you kind of maximize yeah a lot of those deductions and you're trying to I'm not saying don't pay taxes but you know there's a lot of credits and ways the government tries to encourage some spending right uh, you know from donations to 501c's and all this stuff so you want to plan ahead to know what's the deadline for me to donate stuff so I can deduct it on my tax return type of stuff uh, so Man. A, a lot of people do do that you know
Yeah. So that's why if you notice a lot of schools and 501 they will send you emails probably around November. Yep. Or December to remind you, hey, man, <laughs> it's that time of the year again. To do your giving. You know, yep. that's interesting because I think Giving Tuesday is has been a thing more recently where it's I think it's the Tuesday after the Thanksgiving. And it's um, it's interesting because there's Cyber Monday and it's Giving Tuesday. And the idea to your point is if it's in November, then you're, um, you know, you're, you're kind of getting to the tail end of, hey, how much have you spent this year? How much have you, you know, what is what is your potential tax bracket looking like and how can you do something good? That could offset that. You touched on a few things, Timmy, that I, I want to picky, uh, piggyback off of. The, one of the things you touched on is this point of giving. Um, you know, for folks that own businesses, and this is this is probably taking it backwards, but for t- folks that own businesses, um, what kind of value is there in uh, either establishing a 501c3 in that same business or not in that same business, like within the same purview, or supporting another. What what typical benefits are there? I'll give an example. Um, I'm I'm well familiar with, and many people are familiar with the you know Bill Gates Foundation, right? And the Bill Gates Foundation oftentimes is associated with Microsoft. And Microsoft probably actually, and I don't know the answer to this. Microsoft probably has its own foundation, but Bill Gates as an entity, because he's I mean he makes so much money, <laughs> it it kind of made sense for him to build his own foundation. Now for many people who are faith based. The church environment is where they've devoted that giving concept to. But as a business person who is not necessarily an employee, but uh, an entrepreneur, can you just speak to the value of a 501c3 as, as your entity, as opposed to a 501c3 that you contribute to? What are the two different things? Okay, so that that is a very good question. Very mm-hmm. wonderful question. and. Um, so I would say essentially is basically how much, how you can maximize the tax deduction. Really, that's the major difference. Right. So the first one is as a business owner, if you support a 501c, there's some, you know, um, gross income type of threshold that you have to meet in general. Let's say for the purpose of this discussion, mm-hmm. if you meet all the other criteria, because you have to meet some certain criteria because the deduction has to be a percentage of your AGI uh, on all the stuff. Okay. Let's say at the most- Annual gross income. Rate, That's AGI, right? I, I just said gross income. I just so said gross income. Take, right. So okay. I, after they've taken out all these other credits and all the stuff, they come to this number. Right. And then you, your donation has to meet a flow. So you have to donate at least maybe, I can remember maybe 10% of your AGI. If you Got don't, it. then you don't get a deduction. But assume that, that you made all of those. Mm-hmm. The most you can deduct anyway is that five thousand, mm. because that's the, the the amount that you donated. Right. If you own the five hundred one c yourself, essentially, it's a corporation. Right. But from a tax purpose, you won't pay tax. Right. So, all the expenses that goes with that right. would be, you know. So if you own it, let's say you did in the 501c, now you have a official 501c corporation car that you have to drive. Those are all expenses that are tax-free, right. essentially. Right. Right. But the caveat to that is you not necessarily need to make profit. So right. you have to then, you know, you have to have a purpose. So you have yep. to donate the money, but your expenses, there's no, 
there's essentially no limit to the air expenses that you can get. So that's why you see there's all these written agencies for the 501 Cs that, okay. Of for transparency, dollar, right? Right, right. And, and, because and, out of every dollar that you get, how much are they actually donating to the people that you need versus how much is... Is operational, administrative. Personal. You know, and I love right. that, Timmy. I love that you highlight that because, you know, there are very different uh, ways for people to do the right thing but there are also very different ways for people to do the wrong thing and someone who has a good heart who is intentional about giving right and understanding that their financial resources are a blessing to them but also an opportunity to bless others would likewise steward those resources in other words if i'm you know just for easy math to your point if i make a hundred thousand right easy math and you know and i decide that 10 percent of what i make ten thousand you know, and I'm talking gross, I'm not, I'm not trying to take net or whatever, because when I pay my taxes, I pay my taxes off my gross, I don't pay it off my net, right? So right, if I'm right. giving on to Caesar based off uh, my, the percentage of my gross, then likewise, my giving as a, as a, you know, as a faith-based approach should probably be in that light. But having said that, so I decide that I'm going to give 10% of that 100,000, which is then 10,000, right? Now, if that 10,000 comes and I give it into an institution that maybe it's a 501c3 that has, uh, you know, the right structure, who's been, you know, has reputable outcomes. I've seen their work in the field. I've seen, you know, I mean, again, being specific, I've seen the ministry work. I've seen children going to school based off that. I've seen, you know, maybe it's a, a children's foundation and I can see lives change. Then I'm comfortable 100% given that 10K and be done with. Uh, but as I, you know, but there's also the perspective that I know some people have that maybe if I have one that is that I'm a board director, that I'm a member of, and maybe that's another way to do it. Maybe not necessarily start one, but be a part of one that you're a board director. You know, I, I, can, I can truly see the behind the scenes and see the outcomes of the input that I'm putting in, not only in my finances, but also my service and time. So right. I, I just and wanted you, to make sure I touched on that and maybe and talk I, about that. So I, I appreciate yeah, you touching I think, on that. And I think that's a good idea too. And, and that's a good point that you bring up because, uh, I've been involved in some 501Cs in the past where if you're part of the 501C, I think one of the other aspects of starting your own or having or being involved in one is you get to have a say in how the organization is run, right? Right. So you can make sure that you're having that intended impact. Yeah. So let's say you have a 501C as opposed to, let's say, support the orphanage home as an example. Right. If you're part of that, if you're on the on the board, as you mentioned, you you have a say in you know how effective you guys can be. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you if you donate into a private one that you that you're not necessarily part of, you really can't control how that money is spent. So that's another yeah. aspect or that's yeah. one one other difference of you know being involved in one versus just donating to just one. donating blindly. You know right. I appreciate that. And so we've talked a little bit about taxes and giving. Let's talk about taxes and entrepreneurship a little bit. And, you know, for some people, one of the things you said, again, piggybacking on your intro, you talked about kind of planning ahead as opposed to waiting to the end, like some of us who in the is June and we haven't filed taxes because, <laughs> because we are scared, man. I, I was talking to 
a mutual brother of ours yesterday and he's like oh well, i can't i don't even know when to yeah. like i'm scared but you know what i mean like as opposed to waiting till the end you make a great point of planning so for an entrepreneur if you were to give a high level this is the best way to plan your taxes in advance what would you say i've heard some people say you know, consider it like a 1099 where you're paying quarterly. I've heard that before. I've heard different ideas, right? But for you, let's say I'm your client coming to you and I say, hey, listen, I'm an entrepreneur. I've been doing this hustle thing for about four or five years. I've got my registered business. You know, I file taxes on my own willy-nilly. How would you advise me? And I know there's a place for financial advice, right? There's a place for a certified financial advisor, but, you know, as a tax accountant, there's also a place to that. So what would you, what would you, recommend to an entrepreneur when it comes to planning advance for taxes so i would a very good so the even the irs does have some guidance on that right mm. um i would if i was to give the advice i would advise what you just mentioned is pay quarterly uh for the year and how you want to plan is if you it's really if you've been in business for a while right if you've been in business, let's say for two, three, four, five years, as an example, you can see on average how much you make a year from a business standpoint. And then if you use your last year's tax return as a guide, you say, okay, maybe as an example, I, I paid 50K in taxes right. uh, last year or in the last two years on average. Now you can take that 100% of that and then assume that you would, everything else being equal that you would pay about the same. Mm -hmm. So you can then essentially split that 50K into four, four quarters and pay every quarter. Mm -hmm. What that does is that at the end of the year, it, it reduces uh, your tax bill, mm -hmm. which that's really one of the reasons why people don't want to file the taxes because it's just, it's complicated. And then you're like, whoa, I got to pay all this amount in the next one month as an example. So if you kind of split it up over, you know, 12 months, it's easier. The second thing is also most entrepreneurs, at least they're more cash basis, mm -hmm. right? So one thing that I always advise or that what always advise is to have a good record, have a good record keeping stuff. So essentially have a, an accounting system, you know, they have a lot of online accounting system. Your bank does it where you can tie to your bank account. Make sure you have a lot of documentation. Because that makes it easier to kind of, at the end of the year, do kind of like a balance analysis to make sure, okay, I'm not leaving anything on uh, out of the table. But one additional thing I would say is at the end of Q3, because most entrepreneurs are on a calendar year tax, you know, January to December. I would say at the end of Q3, maybe close to the end of Q3, certainly at the end of uh, at the beginning of Q4. You want to take an account of how you've done so far mm -hmm. and then use that last quarter to then say, what do I need to do to get to the end result that I need to get? So yeah. that's when, if you notice a lot of companies, a lot of big corporations, they spend a lot at the end of the Q4 right? because they've seen the budget. They, they know, okay, this is the last quarter. If we want this to count as part of our expenses, we need to spend it. Yeah in October, November, December. So I would encourage a lot of entrepreneurs to do the same. Look at where you're at. And then based on what your tax strategy or what your goals are, make those adjustments in the last three months. 
So that way they can count for that year. Because sometimes uh, it's good because entrepreneurs are on cash basis. So it's when you spend it or when you put it on your, your credit card, that's when it kind of counts towards that tax year. What you don't want to do is not spend it and then go ahead and spend it in the first week of January. Mm. Now it doesn't count towards, um, towards the prior year. It counts towards the new year. So you just want to be cognizant of, okay, the timing and what you need to do if you need to spend something or if you want to, you know, if you think maybe next year the tax rates are going to be lower, if you really think the tax rates are going to be lower, maybe you want to increase your expenses the next year so you, you don't uh, do the expenses this year. So you, there's a lot of things you do, but a lot of them should happen Q4 because that gives you the opportunity to level set. Yeah. Timmy, I appreciate that. And I think what I was thinking as you were speaking is maybe we take a particular scenario um, yeah. and, and I'll throw a, a potential particular scenario and maybe we could just walk through some of that for those listening. Um, I, and as I was also listening, I was reminded of Robert Kiyosaki's uh, four quadrant and how he talks about um, cash flow quadrant is employee, which is typically most people. You work for an employer, they pay you, your taxes are typically taken off the top as much as possible, only if you uh, self-elect to take whatever more, blah, blah, blah. It's easier that way. Then, then you have the self-employed who are the typical contractors, the 1099 guys who collect, they, they get paid lump sum and you got to go figure out your insurance, your everything, your Benny Benny's benefits and all that is mm -hmm. on your own. And then you have the business owners who are those who own an entity that employs people. And that's, you know, so you have typically larger expenses in the business quadrant, but then you're also larger expenses, larger opportunity to expense, reduce your, your quote unquote profit. Um, and so has a favorable impact on taxes, if I may say. And then the last are the investor quadrant. So if we, and the investors obviously is people that take money and let money make money for them. Um, right. But taking and falling into that um, business owner quadrant, which is where, um, let's take an example. Let's say I own a, um, I'm actually going to use one close to home. I own a fabric business. Let's say I own a fabric business. Um, and I, in my fabric business, um, I source fabric from globally, uh, from all parts of the world. And in that process of sourcing fabric, um, I have an expense that includes um, a telephone or uh, because I have to chat with my potential suppliers. I have an expense that includes traveling because I have to go see the product. And when I travel international, I stay in a hotel, everything about that trip to purchase the product requires expenses. And then when I come back, all of those things are expenses, right? And I bought the product. I brought the product here. As a part of that, it required, maybe I could only fit in X amount of my two boxes, but I had to ship some. All those are expenses, right? And then I bring it here. I have a store. I equip my store. I have a store attendant who is present. I pay the store attendant. I pay rent on the store. I pay, now I also pay electricity bills and all that. And I also now pay marketing because I want to market the product. I pay for the website. I pay for all these things. And then I finally sell the product. Am I right to assume that everything I just described as an expense qualifies as a potential expense? And then what else might you suggest in such an idea where you're a fabric owner or whatever, anybody listening, just plug in your own industry and, and use that as the example. But Timmy, take that and maybe talk about uh, how, how your expenses could help 
offset the taxes you pay. Yeah, so that's a good example. So I think a lot of those expenses are, would be qualified expenses, meaning they're in the normal cost of business. Uh, you know, if, if you essentially replace the entrepreneur with uh, a corporation, as an example, Right. There's travel expenses, there's entertainment expenses, you know, with some, Got it. some limitations. There's uh, the cost of goods sold, there's market. So it's very similar, mm. right? So as long as it's a bona fide business expense, yes, it would. Um, what the tax implications are in general, I usually, there's also a max. So it also depends on how the company is set up. So if okay. you set up as a C corporation, if you set up as an LLC, you right. set up, you know, there's can, some you, can you touch on types. that? I, I apologize. I'm going to segue there because I think that yeah. is important stuff you're talking about. LLC, S Corp, C Corp. Can you just right. touch on those three maybe? And if anything yes. else you want so, to touch on. So, so the, the C Corp is the general one that we all know, you know, like uh, the, you know, Apple, yep. Amazon, you know, Microsoft, all those corporations there. Uh, generally see cops. The good thing about them is, you know, they're able to raise funds because they're publicly traded and they're big. Uh, they have board of directors and anyone can invest in them. The, from a tax perspective, the downside is, is double taxation. Right. So the corporation pays taxes and then when they pass on the dividends and all the stuff to the shareholders, they pay taxes at their own tax rate. Um, the S-Corp is a little bit different because uh, you can elect to be taxed differently than a C-Corp when you form it. So it's a little bit more tax friendly to the owner, as an example. Mm -hmm. uh, it does come with some stipulations from a legal standpoint. So you can, for example, you can have certain owners or certain people on the board, or uh, you can only have up to this amount of owners, as an example. So there's a lot of stipulations, but if you meet those, there's some tax benefits that go with that. The LLC is very common from an entrepreneurship standpoint because you get the best of both worlds. It's not double tax, so it's uh, a pass-through tax. So the LLC itself doesn't pay taxes. Uh, it gets passed through to the owners. Now, if you're a single member LLC, meaning you form an LLC yourself, or even you and your spouse, the LLC as an entity for, from a tax perspective is disregarded. Essentially, that means IRS doesn't consider, uh, they won't consider it separately from the owners because it's just you or it's just you and your spouse, which they consider as one, you know, mm -hmm. technically. Right. But assuming it's multiple people that own the LLC, the, the benefit of that is you can actively participate in the organization, in the businesses, in running the business. And then at the end of the year, everyone gets uh, their own statement you know, their share of the income of, or their share of um, the lawsuit. That's what they pay taxes on. Mm. So depending on all of those, uh, if you're S-Corp, you might not be able to, let's say, participate. Uh, there's some limited liability, uh, LLP, you know, right. generally for like doctors, CPAs, partners, accountants, yeah. um, partners of... If you're a limited partner, you, you can't be involved. Mm. So if you get involved, then your tax treatment is different. 
So there's a lot of rules mm. around a lot of this formation, the tax consequences, uh, what the distribution is considered. So in some yeah. cases, distribution is considered ordinary income. In some cases, distribution is considered uh, a return of capital, which gets taxed at a different level. Mm. The income gets taxed at your own personal income tax rate. So there's a lot of nuances to it, but in general, a lot of them would have expenses, normal expenses. So yeah. as long as they're the bona fide business expenses, you can deduct them. Now, there's also, you know, as with everything with taxes, there's going to be a lot of thresholds that you have to make. So, mm -hmm. for example, you have to also show that you're trying to make revenue. Mm. So you can't keep having $0 revenue and then you're having all these expenses for years and years. Right. Maybe the first year, you might not have revenue because you're just starting up. But over time, the IRS will want to see, okay, are you making revenue? So a lot of the expenses from a tax standpoint, the amount that you can deduct will be based off on, okay, what was your actual income from that business compared to all the expenses that you're trying to take as a deduction? Do they make sense type yeah. of stuff? But in general, yeah. if you're making revenue, all those costs will be considered business costs as long as you know like if you travel as an example if you travel for business purpose you, you have to discuss the business right um so those would those would be normal business expenses which will be will be very beneficial from a tax standpoint yeah thanks sammy you know and, and i was thinking about it as you as you were speaking um i i imagine there's just behind the scenes some some um, formula that is thrown out to determine, hey, what percentage of your income or basically net income to, I'm sorry, net profit to income um, to determine like, okay, let's say you, 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 your sales are $100,000, right? Um, and at the end of the year, you report $10,000 as your, as your profit. Well, 10,000 on 100,000 is 10%. Stock markets is doing about 8%. That's good, right? That's, yeah. you know, but if you report sales of 100,000 and you report uh, profits of maybe $500, you know, on a sale of 100,000, five years in a row, I could see that being something. <laughs> it's like, yeah. okay, bros, what's going on here? Yeah, <laughs> exactly, right? This is 0.5%. Exactly. What's going on? You know what I mean? Exactly, uh, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I would, I would say though that it also depends on the industry that you're in, Touché. which is very important. So the IRS would look at that for sure. You know, does this make sense? Yeah. So as an example, if if your company is very heavy on R&D, as an example, mm -hmm. uh, where a lot of the cost to you is long-term research and development, you're trying to build stuff and bring it to market. So even if you make 100K in revenue, it could very well be that you could even have a loss, net loss right. at the end of the year right. for a couple of years. And that's how a lot of these um, private companies that go IPO, a lot of these companies, new tech companies actually operate for years. They run on net losses because they're putting the money back into the product. Yeah. In fact, they might put 100% of the profit, 100% uh, of the revenue back into the product and still raise additional funds to even yeah. put more in. Uh, so that industry, a lot of people understand that industry, that's how they operate in general. Fair. Uh, so they would say, okay, yeah, you know, that's normal. 
they typically run negative profit for, or, you know, net loss for five, six, seven years. They don't turn profit until, let's say, the seventh year. Now, if your industry is in a different industry where it's high margin, low cost, you know, let's say as an example, you're doing drop shipments. Mm -hmm. So you don't own a lot of inventory. You don't carry a lot of inventory. So you don't have a lot of warehouse costs and all this stuff. And you just have like, let's say Instagram as an example. Mm -hmm. You have a store on Instagram and people order and then you get somebody from another country to ship it to them. Your your margin could very well be like 90%. Mm. Um, like gross margin. And then your expenses, depending on how you, you set up, might be maybe 50%. So at the end of the day, you might have a net income of 40%. Now, the issue is the tax code in the US or the you know tax returns is based on trust a lot of times. Hmm. The IRS trusts that you will do the right thing and right. report all your income. The issue comes when a lot of people try and like put in a lot of expenses to make sure that the net income is zero or close to zero and all the stuff. And you know, people do that. that's where the IRS does the audit and say, right. hey, you know, give us all the documentation that supports all this tax return. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, the IRS won't won't send you a letter until maybe seven years later. So by law, you're supposed to keep the documentation for like 10 years. Yeah. So they can still audit something that you did five years ago. They can still come back and say, hey, give me the documentation that supports all these claims. And I just want to touch on like the cryptocurrencies, a lot of that, you know, last Please. Year, a lot of people didn't know the impact of that, you know, from a tax standpoint, right? So if you, if you trade in crypto, you know, the tax rate is different, right. but number two, it also affected a lot of people in a way where it pushed the tax bracket to a different tax bracket. So they were surprised when they, they owed more. Right. I know of someone where, because they traded a, a lot of crypto and made some money off of crypto. And then at the end of the year, and, and they still had a day job. So at the end of the year, if your adjusted gross income is between the certain, you know, range, right? Your tax bracket would be, you know, and they talk about all this tax bracket. You might have been at a twenty-three percent tax bracket. Well, mm -hmm. now that you did crypto, now you're like let's say twenty-eight percent. So yeah. now you owe more type of stuff. So a lot of people were kind of shocked when they're like, "Whoa!" But, but last year I was, well, because you made more crypto. And all these trading platforms had to report that, you know. So people didn't think, oh, yeah, it's crypto, yeah, you know. And a lot of people were doing that as day trading. Buy one week, sell the next week, yeah. which gets taxed at higher level, yeah. you know, because it's very short-term type of stuff. So yeah, one thing, keep a lot of documentation. But, but number two, a lot of people try to play games with it. But at the end of the day, you know, they can come back and say, hey, you know, show us the documentation that supports yeah. all of this. But as long as this is a bona fide expense, it's fine. You're good. You know, I, I love that you you highlighted that because I was going to really end with that as we started with it. We're not ending yet. But, you know, again, the, the topic today is give to Caesar. And I'm going to read Mark 12, um, 13 uh, down to 17. So bear with me. It says here, then they sent and this is the Pharisees, they being the Pharisees that they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. Uh, when they had come, they said to him, 
Teacher, we know that you are true and care about no one, for you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God and truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. So they brought it. And he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Verse 17, and Jesus answered and said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are the gods, that are God's. And they marveled at him. And, and so this is the Pharisees trying to test Jesus. And, you know, he, he emphasized the importance of, you know, really doing the right thing by the, by the, uh, the governance in which you're under. And so if you live in America, if you live in most Western worlds, there's an expectation of paying your taxes and give to Caesar, please, 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 so that you may sleep well at night. Yeah. Now, you know, that's, that's more important yeah. than anything. And, and, and we're yeah. not saying that you shouldn't, you shouldn't be intentional and, and strategic about maximizing, but right. do the right thing first. Um, yeah. and don't try to game the system, do the right thing. Be blessed by the system, but do the right thing. I do want to touch on uh, or go in the direction. We've, so we've talked about giving, we talked about uh, entrepreneurship, but I want to double click into a certain level of entrepreneurship, which is real estate. Um, a lot of people I know are into real estate, uh, you know, and I'm going to throw this out there. I know you're a realtor. I don't know if you, <laughs> I don't know. Don't worry, I'll bleep that one out if you want me to bleep it out. <laughs> no, no, no worries. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> yeah, I, I know you have your real estate license. I don't know if you still keep yeah. it, but you probably do it for personal reasons, right? Right, 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 yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so I, I know a lot of people that do that too. So you're, yeah. you're very cognizant about real estate. Yeah. Can you speak yeah. to taxes and real estate and maybe one of the benefits of of owning real estate as mm. as a result to taxation one of the things that i'm aware of with the values of real estate especially rental properties is mm. you, you it, it gives you many values one it appreciates two you have cash flow three you can the expenses that come with it could help in taxations and i'm i'm not as cognizant as of the taxation benefits so that's what i'm hoping you could touch on but before, when it's all said and done, the tenant paid for it in the 15-year mortgage or the 30-year mortgage, and you own this house clear and free. And fifth, there are not too many businesses that you can put X amount percentage down and still get an approval from a bank. Like I, I heard somebody say once that I can't walk into a bank and ask for a $300,000 loan, even if I brought $30,000 to the table. They wouldn't give it to me. But if I walked into the bank, I said, I'm buying a $300,000 house and I'm bringing 30,000, you know, they would give it to me right away. So there's so many values to real estate, but I wanted yeah. to just touch on real estate and taxes uh, and some of that value. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That is a great one. Uh, so I think I can remember who mentioned it, but it's probably one of the fastest ways to wealth. Mm. that I've seen, at least in the US, is real estate for two reasons. You touched on the taxes. So as a business, it's essentially very similar to other businesses. You know, you, you have, uh, let's say, an inventory that you're selling or something that you're renting out, which is the house. And then right. you have expenses associated with those. You get to deduct them and, you know, 
you have you know net income or net loss but the other thing about it is if you to your point get a loan the ta- the interest that you paid is also an expense mm-hmm. so you get the benefits of that as well so mm-hmm. the interest that you pay every month is part of your expenses the insurance so and so you have ownership of the house by leveraging the bank, other people's money, leveraging other people's money to your point, you bring 30K down, uh, you're able to get additional money from the bank because right. the bank knows over time, generally speaking, real estate's appreciating value and they can see the physical house, mm. right? So worst case scenario, they have something that they can hold on to. Mm. The other part of that is you can tap into that equity as well. It's about the only business where you put 30K in to get a 300K uh, property and you're renting it out. Let's say in a year or two or whatnot, that property is now worth 400K as an example. Now you have 130K of equity. You can tap into that equity and buy something else, another property. Right. Without touching that house, without doing anything with that, just based off on that appreciation mm-hmm. alone. That's about the only business that I know that you can do that. The other part is because real estate property, you can depreciate it. Say and that one more time. Real estate, yeah. you can. Yeah. You can depreciate it. There you go. You can't, from an accounting standpoint, you can't d- depreciate the land, but the the property itself, right. you can depreciate it. And I think it's about, I can't remember the exact years that you can depreciate it for, but that is, uh, is an expense. Right. Not only is it an expense, it's a non-cash expense. You're not spending any money to depreciate it. You literally just saying, you know, over time, this house is gonna, you know, depreciate in value, blah, blah, blah it is an expense on your tax return. Most of the other expenses, you have to pay for them. You know, you have to take out cash. So you have to have cash for depreciation, you don't. Mm. And I think that's one of the biggest draws to real estate because not only is the value of the property appreciating that you can tap into, at the same time, you're getting the tax benefit of depreciation. Yeah. So it's kind of like a double plus really right you know you get in the you're eating both on both sides, sides. On both it's sides. literally you know you say like, well yeah it's, it's going up it's going up but man because the value yeah. of the appreciation if i may come in here also is you know it appreciates realistically so that when you sell it you have that appreciation now you have to pay the tax on the net right exactly. Said and done. exactly or if that's if you plan on selling or right. as it appreciates to your point you know, you could also refi right. at a, you know, still down to your 70% L- loan to value LTV right. and whatever you're at that gives you that, you could take that and turn it into another turn property. Yeah. Three, yeah. four years, keep, do the same. Recycling it. You know, obviously right. you want yeah. to factor in the cost of refinance because those banks can make yeah. that money, right? Yeah. But you're spot on. With appreciation, you're able to take money out of it. It's like, you're, it's a bank that keeps giving Right. And then you also depreciate year in, year out. I think it's about 3.6% a year for about 20-something yeah. years. Yeah, so, 26.5. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So 
go ahead. It's it, there is value it, in it that. Is, it is it is a lot of value, and you know, I think a lot of people are, are getting into it now. They're understanding the impact, and actually, with I think when COVID happened, where people were home, you know, a lot of people kind of started thinking about you know alternate ways to make money, build wealth, and all this stuff. So a lot of people are open to that. But it's it's always been that way where you know you leverage and you're able to depreciate even if you improve mm. if you improve the value of the house mm. you know if you if you make it more energy efficient if you change the roof all those expenses I think they changed the code I can't remember exactly now maybe two years ago for some time if you do some work to improve the value of the house you can speed up the depreciation of those, mm. right? Or in some cases, I think you can deduct the entire expense in that tax year, mm. depending on the type of improvement that you make. Yeah. So it was another way for the government to encourage people to kind of maintain or improve, you know, make it where it's energy efficient, different things, and to help business owners. Actually, mm. when people were working from home or not going into work, Right. A lot of uh, the actually on the on the commercial side, mm. you know, they were doing a lot of improvements, right? Uh, during that time, so the government wanted to help the businesses. Okay, if you spend this much money, we'll let you either accelerate the recovery of that expense, or we'll let you even just expense it in that tax year. So that's about the only business that I know that gets a lot of benefits from. You know, real estate, and you know, it makes sense. A lot of people are into real estate; is a massive market, and that is the bedrock of a lot of, you know, cities and states because of property taxes and all this stuff. So there's a lot of play in there, and from a tax perspective, I think it's probably one of the best. From yeah. tax, I mean, outside of you know, C corporations and all this stuff, but like from uh, an individual standpoint is probably one of the best ways to kind of build wealth because it's just, it doesn't require a lot. I mean, relatively to the right. value of the asset, it doesn't require a lot to own it. And then you can get a lot of benefits from it. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. And especially coming from someone who, again, you're a CPA, you're a realtor. Um, obviously you do a lot more in your day job, but um, where can people uh, connect with you if they're looking for, um, some consulting opportunities Ooh, from, from your ex. Plug. Let me put a plug in right quick. Where, <laughs> where could they hit you up before I ask my final signature question? Very easy. So it's, uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter, Ayola CPA, at Ayola CPA, okay. or online at www.ayolacpa.com. A-Y-O-O-L-A-C-P-A.com. That is simple and direct. <laughs> simple and direct. Like <laughs> it is clearer than clear. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so I have a signature question um, that yeah. I'm asking this season. And um, think of it this way. If you were to, and we just completed the whole NBA finals, but let's say you had yeah the opportunity to make a dream team, right? The perfect dream yeah. team, five people who would always be in your corner for life. Five people who would always be in your corner for life. Who would they be? And let me say this, they don't have to be still alive. They could be 
you know, they could be dead, they could be whatever, but, and, and tell us why. So I'll give you an example. Mm. I've heard people say, well, maybe not, let me not give you an example. Let me help you. Let me let you kind of just give it to us free. But five people that mm. you want them in your corner because you can, their resource, their knowledge, their wisdom is just crazy. Who would your five people be? They could be alive. They could be dead. We don't care who they are. You tell us who and why. Wow. That's a deep one. That's a very deep one. That is tough. But obviously, the first person would be my wife, for sure. All right. Yes, yeah, smart smart. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you already know. Hey, you're seasoned. You're seasoned. <laughs> you know, um, definitely my wife first, uh, because a lot of the decisions and she's very, very resourceful. Mm. And she is able to look around the corners more than I can. Mm. Uh, so for me, I, I bounce a lot of ideas. I ask her a lot of questions. Sometimes she's looking at me like, hey, why are you asking me? You can I'm like, because I trust her judgment a lot. So she's, she's number one in terms of somebody I want to be on my corner because she will help me make the right decisions. She will, she will help me see around all the corners that I'm not thinking about. So that's number one. Number two will be my dad for sure hmm. because early on a lot of the things i do now whether i know it or not is based on all the things that i've seen him do and all the um he has a lot of habits that i've found to be very helpful for me so writing down lists and all the stuff because a lot of times i might think okay i'll do it but if i don't write it down or if i don't put it on my phone somewhere i might forget so hmm. that has helped me in my life tremendously so i would say my dad um those two i mean obviously my mom and my brothers but i would say from outside of family because i keep talking about family, right outside of family somebody that i've seen a lot that i look to a lot that really models a lot of things that i think are very good from an entrepreneur entrepreneurship standpoint is a very good friend of mine that you know fella yeah. he, he he i've known him for a long time uh but i very I admire his tenacity, his industrious mindset is crazy. Like mm. sometimes I'm like, dude, man, <laughs> like, <laughs> like he, the way he thinks is on another level, you know? Wow. And every time I see him, he's always thinking big. Like sometimes I'm like, guy, guy, I don't know, but, but he's very, you know, yep. optimistic. He's, yep. He just wants to take over the world. Yeah. I think I've, I've I've picked more than five, but I would. I'm very. I, Any, I have a how about lot this? Of, Anybody from like maybe books you've read or anything of that, that nature, read. or um, you know, someone that you've think, seen yeah, in TV. Yeah. I, I would say Nelson Mandela. Hmm. Yeah, because it is an inspiring figure to me personally because. I don't know if I could have survived what he survived and wow. came out and, you know, not having that mindset after he came out right. and seeing past all of that. To me, I would just, if I could have a chance to sit with someone and just say, how did you do it? Right. Because, you know, I, you know, being human, I struggle with a lot of those things. So right. I would say Nelson Mandela. For sure. So, so you've, I love where, how you're going with this. You started with your wife and you said your dad. 
Um, and then you said uh, Fela, a good friend of yeah. ours. Um, and then you said Nelson Mandela. For the fifth one, can you, how about someone in the finance sector? Anybody, maybe not oh, in this yeah. finance oh, sector, but someone that their finance, and I know Fela is, is really industrious, but someone yeah. that maybe some folks can research, read about that has been a blessing Ray, to you. Ray, Ray, Ray Dalio. Ray Dalio. Ray Dalio. Yeah. All right, tell us more so about is Ray he, Dalio. Is he, is he, is he... CEO and founder of uh, Bridgewater Associates. So okay. the, like a hedge fund is one of the, the biggest. And um, I read his book. So he has a couple, but it's principles about life and work and all this stuff. So he has different volumes that talks about different aspects. Um, the way he sees the world, uh, he sees it as a, a machine, right? Like, so if you think about, you know, being born in Nigeria mm-hmm. or being born in Ibadan, in a small place in Ibadan. Yep. And if you now then think about how massive the world is, right? And then how massive the earth is and how massive the, the galaxy. So he says, you know, there are certain rules to this world that you have to understand and follow and accept. So to me, it kind of breaks down a lot of things in terms of how I try to approach stuff is hey, you know, sometimes you might want it to be different, right? But you have to deal with reality and accept reality and then say, hey, how would I, how do I want to change it? So a lot of times I used to always say, hey, you know, why is this happening or what? But after reading this book, it's more like, okay, this is happening. How can I change it? What do I need to do? Steps, you know, I'm kind of like steps, take steps, X, you know, if this, then this, if that, then this. So it kind of gave me the framework, which is essentially finance, the accounting really, because a lot of numbers, a lot of it is you have to make the decisions. So from my career standpoint is, hey, it's almost similar to like, if you don't like something, change it. Okay, I'd rather right. change it. You don't want to talk about the situation and say, oh my God, this is it, oh yeah. my God. You want to say, okay, this is the situation. Why did it happen? X, you know, you ask the five whys as an example, and then you kind of make changes. So it's really giving me a lot of, I would say system is a system really. And right. he calls it that as well. And he's been, he uses a lot of the system at Bridgewater as I said, and they've been performing like crazy, you know, right. beat the markets and all this stuff. And he talked a lot about how he learned lessons early on. He was too egotistical and he had to like, you know, swallow his pride, he was wrong one time and then became humble so I, I was just inspired by all the things that he went through to be where it was and still having that I bar at Bridgewater Associates where it's kind of like man if you can do it you can do it like yeah. and they have system and it's very very open very very open and candid he would tell you the way it is yeah. and funny story PDD is one of his mentees so isn't PDD that something sick, yeah, yeah. PDD sick, uh, sick him out and is a mentor to PDD as well, yeah, which yeah. is pretty impressive. That's awesome. That's awesome. Ray Dalio. Okay. So yeah. if, if, if anyone has not heard of Ray Dalio, look him up, uh, Bridgewater house and, you know, he Ed fund, I think it's about, he's a little over 70 now. Um, yeah. 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 One of his books, principles. I mean, he, to your point, he has these principles that, uh, that folks ought to, ought to look into. So yeah. I appreciate you sharing that.